dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. We will continue our discussion of the Tang Dynasty drama, The Longest Day in Chang'an, or in Mandarin, Chang'an Shen. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter, or else email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com. As always, this podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. Additionally, we reference translations from what is provided online, and we will also provide our own. For this podcast episode, we are going to cover the remaining half of episode one. Similar to our last week's episode, we will also discuss the history as we watch the drama in this podcast episode because there is so much to introduce with regards to the characters, the plot, and most importantly, the setting. For this podcast episode, we will also sprinkle in a couple of book differences and comments from the author to round out this discussion. We are back in the second half of episode one, where our main characters Zhang Xiaojing and Li Bi are going over Zhang Xiaojing's task at Jing Anzi, or the Department of City Security. A quick recap of what's happened so far is that Li Bi is a young man who runs Jing Anzi, the Department of City Security. He is tasked with uncovering a plot that was discovered half a year ago, thus setting up this Department of City Security. Zhang Xiaojing is an inmate on death row, but a former Bu Liang Shui, or the YouTube English translation, is Captain of the Sleuth Hound. He was selected to help Li Bi uncover a plot or uncover the plot after the escape of a member of the Wolf Squad. Cui Liulang, a smuggler and older brother of Cui Qi of the Royal Guard, who's also present, was originally selected to go on this mission to uncover what the member of the Wolf Squad wanted to do in the city, but was unfortunately killed earlier that day. With no other choice, Zhang Xiaojing is Li Bi's only option to save the city. Let's continue. While Zhang Xiaojing and Li Bi are discussing, we hear some ruckus in the background. An elderly man, clearly not focused right now, is riding a donkey that saunters through the halls to where Li Bi is standing in Jing Anzi. The elderly man is He Zhizheng, or Director He. He is closely chased by his adopted adult son He Fu. The translations in English don't make this evident on first introduction, but this Hefu is adopted, and this adopted label is an important one to remember. Additionally, he's holding a children's toy drum to indicate that this Hefu may not be fully right in the mind. The elderly man on the donkey is swaying around while trying to focus on one of the Fang models Li Bi and Zhang Xiaojing were observing just now. He cries out the lines, Zhao Zhao Yotang, Tian Bi, Wan Guo, before falling onto and destroying the model of this Fang, as he next cries out that it's all destroyed over and over again. Zhang Xiaojing over there is like, uh, what's with this guy? 
So who is this person in particular? We'll certainly see more of He Zhizheng, but I do think it's important to discuss the history of these individuals as we go through the drama because it will give us an interesting view on how the drama progresses and its ties to history. So something that we didn't mention in the previous episode is that for this drama and in around the 2018-2019 time period, the Chinese National Radio and Television Administration did not want any dramas to portray historical characters in a negative light or in a way that deviated far from history. So in order to get around the censors, this drama renamed a bunch of characters to sound like the historical characters, but not actually be named that particular character. One particular example is this man, He Zhizheng, the old man riding the donkey. His real life counterpart is He Zhizheng. So do you hear the difference? We have He Zhizheng in the drama or He Zhizheng in history. For the book, the author used all real historical characters as we follow the story, but for drama purposes, we just have basically the same person. We all know who it is, but the name is subtly a little bit different. Well, the old man, He Zhizheng, or in history, He Zhizheng, was a well-known poet and politician who was born in 659 and died in the year 744, the year this drama takes place. That makes him an ancient 85-year-old man at this point. I'm always very impressed when you look at historical characters and they're able to live past 60, and we've so far have had several live well into their 80s. Maybe it was something about that Tang Dynasty era, you know? In the drama and in the book, we count him as actually being the age of 86. That also just goes back to how Chinese people calculated birth years. So 85, 86, he's around that age. He Zhizhang, the historical character, passed his imperial entrance exams in 695 and served in the Ministry of Rights, Ministry of Works, and was a close teacher for the crown prince under the reign of Emperor Tang Xuanzong, our current emperor. He is also the head of the imperial archives at this point, which in Chinese is called Mi Shu Jian. This is why in the drama, everyone calls him He Jian. Jian indicates his title. He Zhizhang was a very influential politician and poet. As we saw, his career spanned several decades. He was also immortalized as one of the eight immortals of the wine cup, a group of scholars and poets known for their love of wine. After he retired in this year 744, He Zhizhang wrote a poem that literally every child in China learns to this day. We'll discuss this poem later when he actually retires. Anyways, this old man makes his entrance riding a donkey. Why a donkey? Well, number one, a horse was too large to travel through the crowds. And two, this goes back to the fact that he is a poet. Several famous poets during the Tang Dynasty preferred to ride donkeys to show that they were uncorrupt, reflected their poor man's roots, 
and showed their disdain to be associated with the rich and powerful. As to the lines that he says, Zhao Zhao Yu Tang, Tian Bi Wan Guo, comes from a poem that he wrote called Tai He. The full poem goes as such. Zhao Zhao Yu Tang, Tian Bi Wan Guo, Lie Zu Ying Ming, Si Zong Shun Ze, Shen Xi Wu Jiang, Zong Wo Tong De, Zeng Sun Ji Xu, Xiang Shen Pei Ji. This poem was written in the early years of Emperor Tang Xuanzong's reign, and He Zhizhang currently is praising the splendor and glory of this reign, how the Tang dynasty has expanded to endless boundaries, and how the heavens have blessed this era. The first two lines, which are the ones spoken in the drama, roughly translate to, The light shines on great Tang, the world bows down to it. But interestingly, in the drama, He Zhizheng says it's doomed. Why though? This is what we will uncover in the drama. Notice that he specifically says this when he sees the watchtower and also collapses on the watchtower. There is significance to this display that he has here or has shown right now, which will be revealed later. We'll be seeing a little bit more of this older gentleman throughout the series, so we'll leave his story here for now. We next turn outside of the Department of City Security to a riverbed. The sole survivor of the 16-person wolf squad that entered the city this morning, Cao Poyan, is floating unconscious in the riverbed, then is scooped out by a boisterous old man. This guy is Jiao Sui. First of all, I also question how was this Tao Po Yan able to float in this riverbed considering all of the furs he was wearing? He should have been drowned by now. <laughs> Regardless, what is interesting is that in the drama, this random man announces that he is Jiao Sui from Chang'an. In the book, his name doesn't get revealed until way later. He is just referred to as a drunken old man. Xiao Sui was also one of the eight immortals of the wine cup that we just mentioned earlier, but oddly enough, there's literally nothing known about him apart from the fact that he is a member of the eight. So we don't know when he lived or died, and poor guy died unceremoniously here in the drama. Maybe because we don't know anything about him that the censors allowed this character to use his real name in the drama, which I find really funny. In an interview with the author Ma Boyong, he said that because we don't have historical records of Jiao Sui as a person, so I just decided to write him in this drama and then have him killed. Now, that was the author's creative license for this character. We also have a directorial creative license in the drama. There was actually quite a bit of interest in the drinking vessel that this Jiao Sui guy uses. The cup or the vessel he uses is called a Nautilidae cup, but in Chinese, the literal translation is a parrot cup. The reason is because the shape of the shell and the curvature resembles a parrot's beak, hence why it's called a parrot conch or something like that in Chinese. 
A Nautilidae cup was unearthed from a Tong era tomb, and poems dating back to that time also mentioned the existence of these types of drinking vessels. For those of you that are unfamiliar, Nautilidae are ancient cephalopods with a swirl shell. Honestly, if you look at the drama or some pictures of this, you're like, oh, okay, I understand this shape. Now, as for the wine itself that Xiao Sui was drinking and given to Cao Poyan, what is shown in the drama is a red wine. The author Ma Boyong actually noted that there were several different types of wine that people drank during that era, including grape wines. So it's not far-fetched to have red or even green-colored wines to be consumed during that time, and those grapes were also grown in the mainland. Well, with all that background, all I can say is that this Jiao Sui is one unlucky son of a gun because he saved this Cao Po Yan's life and even gave this dude some cool wine in a super cool drinking vessel only to be murdered by said dude literally two seconds later. After watching this drama, I feel like there are a bunch of scenes like this where it's like, man, you chose to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I am so sorry for that. Well, after that short interlude, which unfortunately we saw a very famous person just die, and that was a lot of history, <laughs> let's head back to the Department of City Security or Jing Ansi. Zhang Xiaojing was able to deduce that the whole reason Cui Liulang's mission failed earlier was because Li Bi's soldiers silenced the bells on the camels. Because the wolf squad are so accustomed to living near livestock, the silence is what tipped them off to the presence of impending threat and was what ultimately led to the failure of the mission to eliminate all members of the wolf squad. Once Zhang Xiaojing pointed this out, Li Bi immediately turns around and stated that he will give reparations to Cui Liulang's family for his sacrifice. Because Li Bi, again, was the one who ordered that the camels be silenced. Now this is a rather quick scene in the drama. In the book, there's much more elaboration and impact. One is that Li Bi became rather impressed with Zhang Xiaojing's abilities to see through the mission and what caused the critical failure. And two, Li Bi originally was a little annoyed or off-put that Cui Liulang and ultimately Cui Qi plus the Lu Benjun were unable to complete the mission. But now that Zhang Xiaojing pointed out that the failure was actually because Li Bi ordered the animals to be silenced, in the book, the animals were actually removed that caused the mission to fail, Li Bi immediately realized that this was his mistake, thus turning around and giving a rather lavish compensation to Cui Qi for what happened. In any case, the story progresses with now Zhang Xiaojing heading over with Cui Qi. The captain of the royal escort to observe Cui Liulang's body again. But we do get a rather heart-wrenching explanation from Cui Qi about why Cui Liulang ended up the way he did. This older brother, Cui Liulang, helped smuggle pearls in order to make enough money so that his younger brother, Cui Qi, could buy a registration or Ji Guan as a soldier, 
as they were runaway farmers with a farming registration. We won't elaborate too much here on an individual's registration deed or T. We have talked about this in the past for the story of Minglan, and we can spend some time discussing this in later episodes. The key takeaway for me from this scene is that Cui Leonglang knowingly went into a lifetime of crime and hurt his intestines to smuggle those pearls just so that his younger brother could live a better life and a life in Chang'an. This theme of wanting to be in Chang'an will pop up several times. Additionally, this little story already creates a multifaceted character for both the deceased Cui Liolang and also Cui Qi. Furthermore, Cui Qi said that his brother can no longer eat solid foods because of how he was smuggling those pearls. Notice that in the beginning of this episode, Cui Qi had that walnut naan or pancake or hu bing he stuffed into his helmet, which is solid. This will pop up in later episodes, but I think it is a reminder to Cui Qi of the sacrifice his brother made to get him to where he is now. I do really appreciate these little character moments that, while short, do an excellent job of giving us a well-rounded sense of where each character, however minor, is coming from. Cui Liolang may have done a bunch of illegal things, but it was all for his younger brother. His younger brother, a respected soldier now, has to live up to his brother's sacrifice. Plus, I thought Cui Qi's acting in this one scene and also throughout the rest of the drama is fantastic. He is someone I don't think I've ever really paid attention to, but I appreciate the nuance and complexity of his portrayal of Cui Qi and his pain in thinking about the death of his older brother. By now, Zhang Xiaojing has made it to the morgue. In examining Cui Liolang's body once again, he realizes that Cui Liolang ingested something before he died, tying back to how this guy used to smuggle pearls. Zhang Xiaojing does some surgery on the body and procures a map from inside of Cui Liolang. Handing the pieces of the map to Cui Qi, Zhang Xiaojing ominously grunts that the wolf squad has big plans for today. Xu Bin, who I'll remind you listeners, is only a lowly eighth-ranked official and is an important character to this drama, reports back to Li Bi on how the Wolf Squad member Cao Po Yan was able to escape. It was an extensive scheme from the Wolf Squad in which they were able to impersonate a local family from Chang'an to funnel money and build secret tunnels in the city. Speaking of, the escaped Wolf Squad member Cao Po Yan, after murdering the poor Jiao Sui, changed into the man's clothes and walked into a barber shop looking to get a shave and to help conceal his identity. After some hesitation from the barber, mainly because he wanted to close the shop early, gives Cao Po Yan the shave. The barber also reveals some interesting news. There will be a grand holy lantern that will be displayed during the evening's lantern festival. This spectacle, which will be a creation from the master Mao Shun, is so secretive that even the emperor himself does not have a clue as to what it will be. 
keep this piece of information in mind because we will see later in this drama just what the secret will be. Also, I swear the entire time the barber is talking, I was like, please don't die. Please don't die. Please don't die. Well, we conclude the episode by returning to Jing Anzi. Zhang Xiaojing explains to Li Bi, The map he recovered is only a small piece, but it is extremely detailed with a number of military and stable posts. The existence of this map really serves to warn Li Bi and the rest of the Department of City Security, Jing Anzi, that an even bigger plot is afoot, involving more members of the Wolf Squad. It's no longer as simple as hunting down just one lone survivor. It's not hard to imagine that a cohort of individuals with a detailed map of Chang'an could avoid critical checkpoints and inspections and ultimately wreak havoc on the city. Something innocuous that I think I would just point out is that in the drama, obviously, Cui Liulang was the one to ingest uh, the map for it to be discovered by Jing Anzi or the Department of City Security. In the book, it was just stated that this corner of the map was discovered in the shed where all of the fighting was happening. So I think the director was trying to tie it to or give more importance to Cui Liulang. What I'm learning here is that even though Chang'an Shua Shichen or The Longest Day in Chang'an has many historically accurate components, both the author and the director have brought in their own creative flavors in order to tell a very engaging and interesting story. And that closes out our discussion of episode one of The Longest Day in Chang'an. I am super excited to get to episode two. It is probably one of my favorite episodes in the drama with so much fun action thrown in. The music for this episode is Qing Pingyue, played by Karen, with sheet music by Cui Jianghui. And as a friendly reminder, if you are looking for sites to watch Chinese dramas and you are in the U.S., please head on over to our sponsor, Jubao TV, that is J-U-B-A-O TV, a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch with English subtitles. They have launched on Sling TV, and you can also access it on Plex. You can stream it through the website or on TV. Again, all of this is free. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next podcast episode.